You may be seated. Well, loved ones, what a, what a joy it is to be uh, gathered together. Again, it's never just another Saturday. Amen? And so let's open up our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah, and some of you may be like, is that a book? Is that a book? Yep, the book of Zechariah. It's the second last book of the Old Testament, right before Malachi and right after Haggai. All right, so go right to the end of the Old Testament, flip back a few pages, and you'll find it. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, our ushers are coming forward right now. Put your hand up, and we want to put one of these Bibles in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that as a free gift from us to you to encourage you to study God's living and active, life-giving, inerrant, sufficient Word at home. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Well, welcome, Hope Bible Church Ottawa. Welcome to the kickoff of a new ministry year. Praise the Lord. And last week, as you have heard, if you listened to uh, the family chat that Kevin and myself uh, gave after the service, um, we announced, by the grace of God, that there are many, many new things happening as God continues to expand his kingdom in and through this church for his glory. Some of those examples, if you remember, uh, small group registrations are now open, and i got to tell you, it's been uh, amazing over this last week that in just six days, small groups are over half full already. Love the passion for uncommon community. And uh, if you're waiting around to say, oh, just kind of wait till September later on to sign up, don't do that because you won't get there. We, we want to see as many people as possible not be put on a waiting list, but that means a sense of urgency and fervency to be like, I'm there now, like tonight, after the service, loved ones, not on your phone. All right? So small group registration, but also we announced Hope Men and Hope Women. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his work to see men's discipleship and women's discipleship start to take off. And we're very, very excited about that. We also announced, as Victoria, you heard from Victoria today, Hope Youth, by God's grace. Hope Youth, come on. That's right. And, and we announced Prayer Night coming up on September 21st. Yeah, I love that. We better be cheering for Prayer Night. That's right, come on. Prayer night, September 21st. We announced step one coming out on December 18th. We, yeah, come on. And we announced, by God's grace, he's moving us to a new facility in October. And we can say a lot of things about this, can't we? We can say a lot of things about this. But um, what we really need to tune into is what God says about these things. And, and what he says about each of these things and where he's taking the church this year comes right from the text we are looking at today, which is the theme of our ministry here. You'll see it on the screen. Let's put this to memory, church. So if people ask you in your jobs or on the street, they say, you know, what's the theme for, for your churches here? What are you striving towards? Right here. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's what God says about each of these things that he is leading us into. Hope Ottawa, it's not by your might. Hope Ottawa, it's not by your power. The only way spiritual fruit, the only way my glory is seen is by my spirit at work. Amen? And this should be, right there, that verse, should be both a very big encouragement to us. that we don't, The pressure's off for us to try to save people and change people. And it's up to us to come up with big strategies and all. That should be a real encouragement to us. Amen? Praise the Lord. But this should also be a warning to us. This truth right here should also be a warning to us. And you say, what's the warning? In the midst of all of these amazing things we see God doing. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, the work of God can only be done by the power of God. That's the warning. For you and I today. 
The work of God can only be done, can only be accomplished through the power of God. What God wants to do in and through his church this year, yes, here locally is an expression of that at Hope Ottawa, but around this city, around this world, the work that God desires to do to advance his kingdom and build his glory can only be done by his power. That's the warning. But there's the problem that comes out of that that you and I probably are already drifting towards in this moment. We're thinking of, uh, often we depend on our own strength to do what only God can do in His. There's the problem we face every day. You and I, depending on our own strength to do what God says can only be done in His. Welcome to the path of the flesh. We see what God's doing. And it's exciting, right? We should be cheering about those things and cheering about our Lord and who he is. But, but we see him building his church. We see his kingdom advancing. But instead, here's the danger. Here's why this is so important. Instead of continuing to increasingly humble ourselves before him and crying out to him in dependency and desperation and obedience and fervency, here's what happens. One, two things. Spectrum. We either get cocky. Look at us. We got this thing figured out. Really? You sure? Look at us. We know, we know how to run a service. We don't need to pray about it. We got all these nice cushy things happening. Nah, we'll just, we won't bathe those in prayer and continue to seek the Lord. We'll just, we got it. We can do it. We get comfortable. We get complacent. We see what God's done. Isn't it so easy to pray when we're, when we're seeking God for, for himself and we're seeking God to do a work and there's a fervency there and then when he does it, it's kind of like, eh, wears off over time, doesn't it? Let's be honest. We stop pressing in. We stop prioritizing what God calls us to prioritize. What he promises to bless. We become apathetic and over time we lose the fervency. We lose the dependency. We lose it. That's the danger. You know, I was reading a quote by another pastor this week, and speaking of the kingdom of Israel, it says, when they received the promise they'd longed for, that is the promised land, they lost the progress they had labored for. They forgot the Lord. When they received the promise they longed for, promised land, they forgot the progress they had labored for to know him. That's the danger we face today. Right there. We lose the fervency for the Lord, and as a result, God's people are not faithful, and God's glory is not seen. And God's glory is the very purpose for which you and I were created for. Just check the book of Isaiah. It will tell you that. Chapter 43, if you're wondering where. Whom I created for my glory. And so here's the big idea of the text, and really, this is the big idea for the year. Okay? See it on the screen. Write this down. Let's lock this in. Because God's work is only done by God's power, what does that mean for us? What's our response? We must humble ourselves in dependence upon him. Every small group, every prayer night, every worship practice, every youth night, every service, every time we're witnessing to a, a co-worker or neighbor or friend, we must humble ourselves in dependence upon the Lord. This is the message of Zechariah chapter 4. I love this little book. It's beautiful. Don't let the size of it fool you. It's power-packed. Let's get our context. It's 520 B.C. It's 520 B.C., 6th century B.C., and, the, and it's in the kingdom of Judah. Remember, Israel was divided, if you remember, from our Elijah series. You've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom's called Israel. Southern kingdom is called Judah. And the southern kingdom is where we find ourselves, specifically in Jerusalem. And Zechariah is a priest, but he's also a prophet. He's born in Babylon during the 70-year exile. Remember, God said that if his people turn from him, they, he's calling them back to repentance. He's sending his prophets, the last of which is Jeremiah, sending the prophets. They refuse to come back to him. And so as a discipline for them, ultimately to restore them to himself, he exiles them to Babylon. And you recall in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, 
he conquers Judah and destroyed Solomon's temple. The pride and joy of the people of Israel that symbolized God's presence with them. Burnt to ashes by Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And then, and then he exiled the last wave of the people of Israel out there. It came, the exile came in three different ways, starting around 605. But the last wave was that 586. And then in 538 BC, the first group of exiles returns to Jerusalem. So, of course, there's a decree of Cyrus in 539. The Persian king comes in, takes out Babylon, puts a decree saying the people of Israel can go back to their homeland. Praise the Lord. And the first group of exiles returns to Jerusalem under the leadership of a governor named Zerubbabel. Hey, say that with me. Ready? Zerubbabel. Okay, now say it 10 times fast. Go. Ah, kidding, 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 kidding. Some of y'all were taking me up on that too. That's cool. All right, that's great. I love this church. All right, Zerubbabel. All right, he's the governor of Jerusalem. And, and the thing about Zerubbabel, you think God does random? He is, he is in the line of King David, which is ultimately the messianic line through which Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to come through. And so Zerubbabel, he's in David's line, and he is given the task by God of rebuilding the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Why was this such a big deal? Because it symbolized God's presence with his people. Get that temple up quickly. So the exiles, they hear this. They hear the decree of Cyrus is coming. And they return in 580, or 538 BC. So you can sense it. There's this excitement, right? There's an excitement. They hear the decree. They've been in exile for 70 years. And all of a sudden, they're filled with anticipation. We're going back home. We're going to gather together. It's a new year. It's a new start. And they saw God fulfilling his promise to bring them back to their homeland. So what do they do? They get back to Jerusalem and immediately like, what do we need to do? What do we, there's the fervency, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the fervency. They immediately begin to rebuild the temple. And they lay its foundation under Zerubbabel's leadership. Just one year later, 537 BC, one year after the back, they're like, what do we do? Lay the foundation. And it's laid. As of 537. But then if you read the Bible, you will notice that after a year, they stopped working. They stopped. Wait a second. Weren't they all pumped up? They're back. They see God at work, and they're like, yeah. And then a year later, they stop. What happened? What happened? They stop working because opposition comes. And it's the same things you and I face today. It comes in two forms. Same for us today. The external opposition from the enemies of Israel that resided in the land of Judah, but also in neighboring nations. There's opposition from the culture. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, cool. On the same page. Context is key, amen? So there's opposition externally from the culture, but I think there's an even more dangerous and subtle opposition that happens internally that we see happening right here. There's an internal opposition of indifference that kicks in. It's been a year. The excitement's faded. The opposition gets intense, and there's an indifference, a discouragement. There's an apathy, there's a complacency, there's an indifference that replaced the excitement and the fervency and zeal for the Lord that they had when they first came back. Why? Things didn't look like they thought it would. It's a lot harder to resettle than they thought it would be. It's a lot more work. It's taken longer than they thought. There's the opponents against them, their hopes of what they thought could be have been dashed. And as we'll see here, they thought obedience is useless. It's just, what does it matter? What does it matter if the temple continues to be built? What does it matter if the will of God goes forward? Look at our situation. See what happens? They just thought the temple looked small and insignificant. What, what does it matter? And then so 18 years passes. 18 years passes. And that brings us to Zechariah in 520. 18 years, that foundation is laid, and then the weeds start to grow over it. You ever pass by a house that's sort of finished? 
right, in the house. And then, and then if it's just left, maybe someone runs out of money or whatever, and then the weeds start to grow, and it starts to look around. There's the temple. They just pass by. Like, what does it matter? But then Zechariah is commissioned by the Lord. And him, and actually Zechariah is a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. They're prophesying at the same time. Zechariah started two months after Haggai. And so the Lord commissions them both to stir up the indifferent. To stir up the indifferent, the apathetic, the discouraged people of Israel by encouraging the people with this truth. The same truth you and I need to be encouraged with today. That the Lord remembers his promises. The Lord remembers his promises. In fact, that's the name of Zechariah. That's what it means. The Lord remembers. Think that's random? No. Zechariah means the Lord remembers because the Lord remembers his promises and he stirs up Zechariah and Haggai to proclaim that God would bless them for their faithfulness if they repented of their sin of apathy, indifference, and unbelief and followed him in obedience by putting their hands to the work. The Lord would bless it because he remembers his promises. And so encouragement came from the truth that, here, 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 think about this. They were not just building for the present. But you see, all throughout the book of Zechariah, he's saying, you are not just building for the present, but I want you to build with an eternal perspective. That's what fuels fervency. You're not just living in the moment. Build with an eternal perspective of the future hope that they had in the coming Messiah, that this was the representation of the light of God to the world. That's what the temple represented. That's what the church represents today. The light of God. This is why Ephesians 5 says, walk as children of light. It's the light of God to the nations. And he says, build with that eternal perspective that it's not just for your lifetime. Build for the future generations that they too would be trained up and built up as lights of God to this increasingly godless generation. Build with an eternal perspective that every time we see God fulfill his promise to build the temple here and now today in the new covenant to see Jesus build his church, it's another glimpse of heaven on earth. Every time. It's another glimpse of heaven on earth. And so what's the result? They preach to the people, they prophesy to the people, and the temple's completed four years later, 516 BC. Four years. And here in our text, as we enter our sixth year of ministry, by the grace of God, we see two critical truths we must believe and increasingly live out in God's power if we are to stay fervent when tempted with indifference. It's exciting now, isn't it? You're launching in. What about March? What about February? What about next May? We keep in the fervency? Careful. If we're to stay faithful when the opposition comes and see God's power revealed in and his purpose fulfilled for Hope Ottawa this year and years to come. You ready to go? Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Kids, Bible's open, nice and loud. Let's read this together. Zechariah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let's read it nice and loud. A vision of a golden lampstand. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, and one on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. 
Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, first thing we see is this, loved ones. God's work is only done by God's power, and we must depend on him. And what does is, what is a cry of dependence always say at all times and all things? Holy Spirit or bust. Every time. God's work is only done by God's power, and we must depend on him. When I go into work today, it's Holy Spirit or bust. When I come to serve in the church, it's Holy Spirit or bust. When we come to gather as the church in a service or in a small group or in a picnic outside, it's Holy Spirit or bust. See, here's why. We can do nothing of any spiritual significance whatsoever without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Powerless. And that's like a torpedo to our flesh. In this world that says, you're so good, you just build yourself right up. You can do anything. You just put your mind to it, and it's all good. Hey, kids, kids, love you so much. Where are my kids? There they are. Love you. But if you hear messages from the world saying, you can do anything you want, you just put your mind to it, that's a lie. Love you. That's a lie. We are called to get low before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to do whatever you want to do so that Jesus, whom I'm created for, gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit, but here's the question facing you and I every day. Will you depend on him? Will you depend on him? Look at verses 1 to 6. Let's go back to this beautiful text. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, God sends an angel. The word angel there means messenger in the Hebrew. means a messenger of God to visit Zechariah and to give him the message the vision for what God was promising to do through the people of Israel as they turned to him in repentance and depended upon him. And this is, why is Zechariah so exhausted here? Like, why is he like passed out on the floor and the angel comes, it's like he woke him up. Why is Zechariah so exhausted? Because this is the fifth vision coming up in this book. Up until now, in the first four chapters, three chapters of the book, there's been four visions already. Like, Zechariah's just getting pummeled, right? He's spiritually wiped out. But before we unpack this vision, we have to understand the vision's purpose, or you're going to miss it completely. God is giving encouragement, verse 6, to Zerubbabel. He's giving encouragement to the governor who's charged with building the temple through Zechariah the prophet. Okay? So this message is to encourage Zerubbabel by giving, God's giving Zerubbabel his assurance of divine power to rebuild the temple and see it brought to completion. Here's what the Lord is saying. Hey, Zerubbabel, I know it doesn't look much, right? Like, look like much right now. There's a lot of weeds over that. It's broken down. There's just nothing but a little foundation. But notice what he's saying in the text. If the people obey the Lord and return to him in repentance and faith, and stop pursuing other gods, if they repent of their indifference and unbelief, which is sinful, they will see the completion of the temple happen by God's power at work in and through them. This is why the angel says in verse 6 that it will not be by the might or power of the people of Israel. Circle might and power. Here's what those two words mean. Uh, God is covering all of the, the sphere 
of what we consider human strength. He means not by your military strength. Are you kidding? Israel had just come back, remember? Like 20 years earlier, they had no military. He's like, it's not gonna be because you've got this large group of people doing all this. Uh Uh-uh, I'm gonna take the few. I'm gonna take the few. It's not by your might, by your military strength. It's not by your wealth. It's not by your wealth that I'm gonna accomplish this. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai 2.8, all the silver is mine, the gold is mine. I don't need the wealth. It's not by your wealth. It's not by your great abilities or great numbers. You think, well, if we just had more, you know, equipped people to do all this, it's not about that. It's not by your human stamina. He says all of that is completely inadequate to fulfill the task God was giving them to see the temple built and the nation of Israel restored to being the light of God revealing him to the nations. So let's break this vision down to see what this looks like. You'll see a picture of it on there. And team, I'm just gonna ask that you keep it on there as long as possible, okay? So you notice in verse two, this is a picture of a lampstand. The Hebrew word for lampstand is menorah. That's what you see there. Those seven different branches on the lampstand. This is a Jewish menorah that was used in the temple and tabernacle to symbolize Israel's call to be the light of the nations. Funny enough, where Jesus says in uh, the book of John, where he says, I am the light of the world, it's at the, um, it's at the festival where they are lighting the menorahs. Interesting how every text is a passage to Jesus. And so here's this lampstand representing Israel's call to be God's light to the nation. But you notice there it says there's a bowl on top of it in verse 2. A bowl on it. And it holds all the oil from the olive trees. And notice this. There's the olive trees. That is a continuous supply. It is never running out. That means that that menorah stays lit. It's never running out. It's constantly flowing down to, you see the next part of the vision, the seven lamps with seven lips. And these are, you see them right there. It's flowing down to each of them. This is where uh, the flame or light shines from. And it's all between these two olive trees, which symbolize, ready, ready? Think about this. They symbolize God's abundant and endless supply of power that is limitless and is supplied without human ability. There's no men working those trees. You see that? There's nobody trying to generate oil in those things. It's just God pouring the oil through those olive trees. What does it symbolize? Here's the summary of it. It symbolizes Israel's call by God to be his light to the world of revealing who he was. His light to the world, a showing of God's grace and power and love and glory and ultimately the Messiah to the world. And he's equipping the people by his power alone to see it happen. And they would be fully supplied to do this. And so this is so key. Today, here we are in the new covenant, the church, church universal, And the local expression of it here at Hope Ottawa and around the world is called to be this to the nations. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. Walk as children of light. 1 John 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Right? A light to the nations. And God promises, look at this, God promises a full abundant supply of his power to see his church built and his kingdom come. Both now and ultimately pointing to his future kingdom here on earth when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, returns. And you say, well, how is his power manifested? If God promises us the the power and ability to see him build his church in and through us, what does this power look like? What is it? How is it manifested? Well, we see right from the text through the one the oil is the symbol of in verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. There it is. The Holy Spirit, the one the oil is the symbol of. Okay, and you may say this. Maybe you're here and we've got different backgrounds. You may say, what's the big deal of the Holy Spirit? Or maybe you come back from, you have a background of a church where, you know, they emphasize the Holy Spirit in different ways and 
than other churches do. So we need some clarity on this. And I just want to say, we're going to take a little systematic theology of the Holy Spirit here for the next five minutes. And so get your pens ready. And if you haven't signed up for our first discipleship class on doctrine, September 24th, registration's open. If you're not planning on taking that, you're missing out. Trust me, get on it. Because we're talking about this and so much more. Beautiful, glorious doctrine. All right? Holy Spirit, who is he? The third person of the Trinity. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. You'll see it on the screen. There's a whole list. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You've got one God in three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, really important to remember this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some figment. Some guy who just kind of floats around. He, he, he's a person. One God, three distinct persons, perfectly united together as one, and yet have complementary roles within the Trinity. All right, so the Holy Spirit, this is why we see it in Matthew 28, 28 18 to 19, where Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fully God. All right, next, the Holy Spirit is our helper. We see that in John 14, 26, and John 16, 17. The word helper there is the Greek word for advocate. He's advocating for us. He's interceding to the throne of God, Romans 8 says. When we don't know what to pray, he's interceding with groans too great for words for us. He's praying the will of God over our lives. He's an advocate, but also it means he's the counselor. He gives God's wisdom in those situations that we need. But he's also the comforter when we grieve. He's God's presence in the life of every believer and through into the lives of others through believers. We see here also that the Holy Spirit is uh, all-powerful. Luke 1, 35 to 37, where the Holy Spirit, uh, the angel comes and says, Mary, you will conceive a son through the Holy Spirit, and nothing is impossible with God. Right? Nothing is impossible for him. Another way of saying all-powerful is he's omnipotent. Next, the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. All-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. Talks about the Holy Spirit being the one who knows the mind of God. It means he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Next, the Holy Spirit is ever-present. I love Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. The psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go? He is all ever present at all times in all things. Another way of saying this is he's omnipresent. So we've got omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-wisdom, and omnipresent, ever-present. Here's another thing. Holy Spirit, he illuminates God's word. He illuminates God's word to us, John 16, 14. Isn't it humbling to know that if you and I are going to get anything out of this message today, if we're going to get anything out of our quiet times with the Lord, it has to be from the Holy Spirit. So we need to be asking him to fill us. Because he's the one who illuminates the truth of God to us. He's the one who then empowers us to live out that truth. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand God's word. That's humbling. Next, F, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, John 16, 8. He convicts us of sin. He says, I've come to convict the world of sin. So that when we're engaging in sinful practice and we feel that conviction, that's the Holy Spirit. Do not harden your heart to that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives is such a gift, and the path of conviction never leads to condemnation. It only leads to God's comfort. If we turn. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Here's the next thing he does. He regenerates the believer. John 3, 5 to 8. The term regenerate is a big term to say he makes us new. To be made new. See, here's the thing about not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That goes for our salvation too. You and I can't save ourselves. It is a work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth of God to us, he opens our eyes, he regenerates our hearts, and he brings us to the point of salvation. John 3, 5 to 8, not by might, not by power. You cannot save yourself, neither can I. We are desperate for the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. The Holy Spirit empowers us. 
The Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power. The Greek word for power there means dunamai. It means dynamite. Awesome. Awesome. You will receive power when God's Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The light of God to the nations. See that? There it is. Again, he, he, he empowers gospel preaching. Here's the, here's the reality. I have nothing to say to you apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And people ask again and again, why do you spend 25 to 30 hours every single week grinding out message preparation? Why don't you just do a Friday night special and wing it in an hour? Because I am desperate for the Holy Spirit as are you. And if he doesn't speak, this is powerless. This is fruitless. And every time someone comes up to me after a service, I'm so blessed by this. Like, it's like you were speaking right to me. In love, I just say this. I was not speaking right to you. The Holy Spirit was speaking right to you. That is God speaking to you. That is not me. I do not have the power to know what's going on in your life in order to speak to that. That is the spirit of God. That's why I'm on my face for hours a week begging for the Lord to show up and to fill me and to help me because I am powerless to shepherd you without him. I just have nothing, loved ones. I can't change your life. I can't change your th- I need him so, so much. And all of this points to this, the mission of the Holy Spirit. What is the mission? To glorify Jesus Christ, John 16, 14. He will take what is mine and declare it to you and I will receive glory, Jesus says. That's why if the worship songs we sing are not pointed to Jesus, they're not of the Holy Spirit because his mission is to glorify Christ. If the small group curriculum that we do is not pointing to the beautiful need for the gospel and the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, it's not from him. If the sermons do not point to the gospel every single week, they're not being filled by the Holy Spirit because he will always work to glorify Jesus. Always. No question. This is his mission, and it's what he's doing in this text with the people of Israel because the rebuilding of the temple... Why is he empowering them to build the temple? Because it points to the nation's need for a Messiah. It's exalting Jesus. So would you agree right now, loved ones, right where you're sitting, would you agree that as we hear the truth of God's word and we see what God's entrusted to us in this church and we look around at the world and the increasing odds against us, would you agree that it's Holy Spirit or bust? Oh, yeah. Man-made strategies, they're not going to work. The opposition is too great. See, trying to do God's work without being filled by the Holy Spirit is like trying to ride a sailboat with no wind. And you might say, well, I've got a motor on mine. (laughs) Funny, right? The Holy Spirit's the motor then. Okay, it's like trying to sail without any wind. You're dead in the water. See, we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Will you depend on him, loved ones? Will we as a church? I love how Jesus says this in John 15. He says, I am the vine. You'll see it on the screen. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that means remains in me, And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? Because of the living power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. For apart from me, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And if you're here and you've never confessed, you say, well, how do I depend on the Spirit? If you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, his call to you is to repent of your sin and confess him as Lord You cannot have the Holy Spirit without him. He is the giver of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, when you believe, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God who came to earth as fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life. You did not sin once. 
And then you went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, which the penalty for our sin is separation from God and ultimately leads to hell apart from him for eternity. He says, but Jesus, I believe you came and died on that cross. You are the only Messiah. There is no other. And I turn from my sin and confess you as Lord and Savior, knowing that when God's wrath against sin was poured out on you, you died and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death, and now offer me eternal life. And at that moment when we confess Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to live for him, for the glory of Christ. That's your first step. Is that you today? Just say, Lord, I need you. I believe you, Jesus. I repent. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've made that decision, you're like, I've got the Holy Spirit. What's, what's the big deal? Hey, I've got a question for you. I've heard it a few times now. Uh, you have all of the Holy Spirit given to you at salvation. But does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You and I have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, you have all of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Or are you blocking the oil? You say, what does dependency on the Spirit? How do I know a life controlled by the Holy Spirit? How do I know? we see all throughout God's word. I want this to be so helpful. Let's dive. Get your pens ready. Here we go. Three things of what a life dependent on the Holy Spirit looks like. Let's go. Number one, it means we remain. We remain saying, I am here, Lord. I'm making time. I am here, Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and listen to me. Be still with him. I'm here, Lord. Listen, here's what we have to understand, loved ones, and we'll, we'll unpack this more next week, Lord willing. It is this. The Holy Spirit is not looking for your abilities or mine. He's looking for our availability. The Holy Spirit is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability to say, I'm here. I want to know your voice. I want to seek you through the word of God, which you inspired, First Peter says. I'm here, Lord. Are we making time consistently? Secondly, secondly, we remain, but then we request. We request saying, I need you, Lord. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means being literally intoxicated by the Holy Spirit under his power, his direction, his wisdom. And actually the Greek word uh, is an active imperative in Ephesians 5. It means be being filled. Continually ask him, say, Lord, fill me in this moment as I'm going into work. Fill me again as I'm shepherding and discipling my kids. Fill me again to hear the word of the Lord right now. Fill me again for this small group. Fill me again for this witnessing opportunity. You're constantly asking for the Spirit's power to work in and through you. And it's prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on him. That's why prayer night is so important as we come together corporately. Lock it in. September 21st. Don't miss it. We're desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit in this. Lastly, we could do a whole sermon series on those, but let's go to the next one. Uh, we remain. We request from him. Lord, I need you. And then we respond. We respond to him in obedience two ways. Forgive me, Lord. There's the conviction. John 16, 8, when he brings conviction, don't harden your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, Scripture says. Quick repentance. Don't let sin linger. Sin is what blocks the flow of the oil. It grieves the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4. It grieves him, unrepentant sin, as we harden our heart to him. So it says, forgive me, Lord, when that conviction comes, but then it's, use me, Lord, Acts 1.8. Use me to witness. Use me in service. Use me. I love how uh, one pastor, H.B. Charles, said it this way as we walk in obedience. He says, if you show me a person whose life is governed by the word of God, I'll show you a person whose life is governed by the spirit of God. It's use me, Lord, in obedience. Show me a life of someone who's governed by the word of God. I'll show you someone who's governed by the spirit of God. That's what it means to live in dependence upon him. Will, will you depend? 
does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Because here's a snapshot of what happens when we do. Just right there. Look at that first, those, those three things right there and just ask, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Because here's, here's what's at stake. The life dependent on the Spirit, here's what he does with it. Look at, go back to the text, 7a, says this. Here we go. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. What is the first thing we see of what happens in a life that's filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit? His progression. Holy Spirit power leads to his progression. This is God's kingdom will advance and nothing can stop it. God's kingdom. The principle here is a general principle for a life governed by the Spirit. And that means God's kingdom advances and you cannot stop it. God promises that as his people humble themselves before him and depend on his power through the Holy Spirit to do his work, any opposition, no matter how, read the text, no matter how mountain-like it may seem, no matter how big it may seem, how daunting it may seem, no matter the odds that are stacked against the work of God, what's going to happen? What, just what's going to happen? <laughs> it will be leveled. Leveled by God to become like a flat surface. Just read the text, verse seven. God looks at the opposition that you and I face individually. He looks at the opposition that is gonna be facing the church. Do you think the devil's gonna give up ground easily, loved ones? When God's advancing his kingdom, there's a fight. But be encouraged with this as I have been, as he's trying to encourage the people of Israel with right here, it's gonna be flattened because God can't be stopped. We may see it, we may not, but it's going to be flattened. God looks at the opposition and he says this. Uh, uh, read the text. He goes, uh, sorry, who are you? Just read the text. Who are you, he says. Who are you? Sorry, you're, you're throwing down a big game. Who are you? Notice he says, I'm the Lord of hosts. I am the God of angel armies. What do you think you can do to stop me? Who are you? And we have seen this time and time again in the past seven years over this church. From day one. Here's the key we got to get out of this. See it on the screen. God never promises his people no opposition. You notice what he says? He doesn't say to, to Zerubbabel right here, to Zechariah. He doesn't say, you will have no opposition whatsoever. No, it's coming. Whenever God's at work, the opposition's coming. He doesn't say that. He never promises his people no opposition, but he promises his power to overcome it. See that? Who are you, almighty mountain? I will build my church, and even the gates of hell and all their opposition will not prevail against it. Amen? Secondly, we see right from the text is this. We see Holy Spirit power through his progression as the kingdom of God advances, but we also see as he progresses it, his provision. Look at 7b, go back to the text. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Because all those naysayers are going down. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. See, God promises that Zerubbabel would, look at his promise. He goes, it's going to be completed. I can't be stopped. I will not be thwarted. Zerubbabel would place the top stone on the rebuilt temple. Now the top stone, circle that in the Hebrew, it is the capstone, the final piece, the final stone that marked the temple's completion. He's going to place that top stone. It's coming. I will not be stopped. And here's the key. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, provided everything they needed to fulfill what he had promised. Thus, it would be the result. It would result in the people praising the Lord for his faithfulness. Notice the shout of praise in verse 7. Grace, grace to it. The capstone comes on and there's the people. Look at, look at the beauty of God. Look at the favor of God. Look at the grace of God. Look at the glory of God. Look at the love of God. Look at the faithfulness of God on display. The victory of God over all opposition. Praise him. Amen? Come on. Let that fire us up today. Look around this room today. Look around. Look around your church family. Think about all those downstairs. Has he not done this in the church up to this point? Grace. I remember as we enter a six-year 
of ministry, it just reminded me, been thanking the Lord of all that he has done. And I remember when my wife Natalie and I and our four boys moved here to plant. We didn't know anybody in Ottawa, not a soul. And uh, this church started with six people in it. And four of them were four and under. And I really pray right now, you're not looking at me being like, wow, you're so great. But you're saying, grace, only God's grace has done this. Only God's grace can take a nobody from nowhere. Only God's grace can gather and assemble every tribe and tongue and nation together by the powers. It's all grace. When you hit that, what do you call it? Grass out there. Yeah, that's right. I'm tired. When you hit the grass out back tonight and you talk with each other, just, I pray, just the, the blessing of God would flow from your mouth saying, this is God's grace. This is not us. This is him. Every life, every child, every adult, every tribe, every tongue, every gathered together. It's all God's grace. Grace to it. Look what he has done. Let that result in praise. It's all his grace by him and for him. He is faithful. See, we've seen his progression. We've seen his provision for this church. And here's the thing we must remember. As incredible as these last six years have been, He's not done. Amen? We're not going to sit and rest on the laurels of the last six years. God's not done. There's more work to do. There's more grace to see and more glory to be revealed. Amen? Come on. Yes, that's worth a clap. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But here's the question. Will you keep living in fervent dependence upon him to see it? Are we going to block the oil flow with pride? Prayerlessness is pridefulness. That's all it is. Will we block it or will we hit the, I pray this church is known for us hitting the deck before the Lord every single day, every prayer night, every service, Lord, we're hitting the deck. We're getting low to see you lifted up. God's work is only done by God's power. We must depend on him. It's Holy Spirit of bus. And last point is this. From this, we must, here it is, right from the text, real simple. Obey him, knowing this. He will do it. He will do it. Hey, challenge for us. Do not despise God's work. Don't despise God's work, whether it looks like you thought it would or didn't. People of Israel didn't think it looked like, should look like this. Started to despise it. Do not despise God's work. Will you trust him and serve him to see his glory? Look at 8 to 10 as we close out. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. See, the Lord promises Zechariah that just as he laid the foundation of the temple 18 years earlier, God will now empower Zerubbabel and Israel to complete it. And whoever despised the day of small things, look at this, even the naysayers, right from the text, they will end up rejoicing at his work. The word despise there, circle it, in the Hebrew means this. It means to have contempt for God's work, to have disregard for it. Like, oh, it's just a small little thing. I don't need to worry about that. Why would I do that? Why would I be involved in that? It's just a pile of weeds right now. Why would I put my hand to the work? Because it looked insignificant with just a little foundation laid. It's a small thing. It's, beginning. it's not flashy. Why would I give my life to that? It doesn't look like I thought it would or should. And they were negative. There were people in Israel negative and complaining about God's work. And the, and the timing of where he'd brought them and how he'd brought them. And well, I wanted to see this. It looked insignificant and didn't look like the previous temple of Solomon, that's for sure. And they believed that obeying God to see it built up was not important. They were the naysayers. They're like, I don't need to be involved in that. And what will happen? Even those people end up praising God as they put their hands to the work, just to the task God's put right in front of them. You put your hands to the work and give glory to him when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. You're like, what's a plumb line? Is that a fruit? Here, you see a picture of it here. 
plumb line is right there. It is a tool. It is a metal measuring tool used to measure the angles of walls of a building to ensure the walls are lined up. And Zerubbabel comes up after those walls are built, and he's measuring it, and there's going to be rejoicing. Look what God has done, grace to it. See, here's the key. God is reminding Zerubbabel of this right here on the screen. Write it down. God will work in small things to accomplish his great purpose for his great glory. Don't despise the small things. God will work in small things to accomplish his great purpose for his great glory. Do not despise the small things he asks us to do and has put in front of us. You and I might think it's a small task, but it has eternal impact. Amen? You and I might think it's a small task, but it has eternal impact. And I remember saying this to our core group, this very text back in October 2016 when we needed to bump our launch date to the following year. A time when it could have been just like, okay, is God even in this? Why even continue in this whole church planning thing? Why? Look around you. Here's why. Why do we continue? I remember this. Because God hadn't brought the growth yet to see the church launched. But listen, loved ones, learn from the text. Learn. God may not work in ways we expect, but don't be the naysayer. Don't despise his work. This is Christ's church that he's purchased with his own blood. And it is imperfect, but it is precious to him. And he has promised to build for his glory and nothing can stop it. Matthew 16 right here, just in case we need a refresher. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh, mighty mountain, what do you think you have on me? Who are you? Loved ones, don't despise or belittle like it's not important or worth your time what God has entrusted to us corporately and to the role he's calling each of you to play and me to play in it individually. Trust him and serve him for his glory in the ministries that he's entrusted to us, loved ones. He may not have entrusted to us the building of a temple wall, but he's entrusted to us the shaking of hands when people come in to welcome others as Christ has welcomed them. He's entrusted to us the giving of our tithes as an act of worship to see him provide for his church through them. He's entrusted to us the task of parking cars to make sure people are safe out there and get a hello and so thankful for you on their way in. Show them Jesus. He's entrusted to us the teaching of a Hope Kids lesson or the holding of a baby to pray over them. Small task, but eternal impact. He's entrusted to us the leading of students at youth group. He's in, remember, you might think, well, I don't relate to youth. Listen, he's not looking for your abilities. He's looking for your availability. He's entrusted to us the joining of small groups to be in community, to stir one another up. He's entrusted to us the running of soundboards the running of cables, the setting up of a banner. Hey, question, will you despise the work? Nah, I don't need to be a part of that. Or will you embrace it? Don't despise the day of small things. Saying a small task, but there's eternal impact and God will do it. Don't despise God's work. Will you trust him and serve him to see his glory? And what's your next step? This is the whole message of Zechariah. Let's get our hands to the work. Let's get our hands to the work. No more indifference. None of it. Let's just get our hands to the work and say, God, I don't know how much I have to give, but it's yours. It's just yours. Come to step one. If you're here and new to this church, come to step one on the 18th. That's your first step. Then sign up for step two on October 2nd, right? Join a service team. Join a small group. Get in a discipleship class. Get involved in men's. Sign up for men's brunch. Who are you inviting to be a part of that, by the way? By September 22nd, who are you? get involved in that. Men's, women's, don't despise what he's entrusted to you or us. He will use all of it through his Holy Spirit to show the light of the world, Jesus Christ, to the nations. Will you trust him and serve him to see his glory? And it's only right as we close out that we remember the one who this whole vision points to, the one who's made this possible for us, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for us by coming to the table of communion to remember his death, which offers us the forgiveness of sins that we may walk in freedom and new life in him. And the bread that we remember him with, the bread is the picture of Christ's body which was broken for us. And the juice is the symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of 
of sin. But scripture is very clear as we come to the communion table. This is not, I know there's a lot, don't, don't shuffle around right now. This is a sacred moment right here. A quiet moment, heads bowed, getting ready before the Lord because scripture calls us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in these next few moments right here, we're going to take a time to examine ourselves. Where are we walking in unrepented sin? Where have we let indifference take the place of fervency and apathy replace urgency in our walk with the Lord? Where are we despising what the Lord has entrusted to us? We're saying, oh, that's not a big deal. I don't need to do that. And being indifferent to it. It's time to repent. And let's get right with the Lord before we take the table together. And if you are here and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, two things. Number one, I'm so thankful you're here. It's not by accident. I would ask that you would come up and talk with myself, some of our other leaders after the service, about what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. And secondly, I would ask that you just let the elements stay. Don't take the elements, because the communion table is only for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, so let's take the next few moments and prepare our